Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Politicana. Today we're in episode 49. It is October 19th, a little later this week, but we're still getting it out for you all. Uh, my name is Tyler and of course I'm with Pratik and Nick. How's it going on today? It's going. Um, I think it's another great day. I'm excited for episode 49. Nick, how are you doing? You know, Pratik, given uh, the fact that Colin Powell just died, I'm surprised you're excited at all. He's like a neocon's wet dream. And here you are, you're pumped for another episode. I gotta hand it to you. Always optimistic. <laughs> all right, so we're gonna kick it off talking about Colin Powell. Um, so Colin Powell um, died on Tuesday, October 19th. Or no, October 18th, so yesterday. And he died at the age of 84. And he was the first African-American U.S. Secretary of State under George W. Bush. And he also served um, under as a joint chairman of the Joint Chief of Staff under George Bush Sr. and Bill Clinton, and was also the U.S. National Security Advisor under Ronald Reagan and the Deputy National Security Advisor under Ronald Reagan. So Chairman Powell was one of the most well-known um, political figures in terms of neocons and in terms of political philosophy that we had in the modern-day era. Um, he was also well known for his intakes and his um, approaches towards foreign policy. Um, he was well known as the, one of the biggest, most well-known diplomats around the country. He was a four-star general. And he also was like one of the highest ranking African-Americans in the history of African-Americans um, before Barack Obama became president. So he was the first African-American secretary of state, as I said. So he was, I mean, he was one of the you know, primary, you know, behemoths of his time. And it's sad, to, sad that he passed away. Well, obviously, it's sad that he passed away, Pratik. But the big thing here is him saying that there was yellow cake uranium in Iraq and sort of pushing the argument in front of the United Nations that we should invade uh, based on that premise that they may have weapons of mass destruction. I mean, yeah, I mean, to, for Colin Powell's credit, he also was involved in a lot of other things that were successful. And he was also involved in a lot of things that were failures. I mean, he was involved in the invasion of Panama. He was He was one of the orchestrators of the Operation Desert Storm in the Persian Gulf War. And, I mean, regardless of whatever we have to say about the Iraq War, um, whether it was controversial or not, he still was one of the primary reasons why we got involved. And if there was anything that good that came out of it, it happened because of Colin Powell's leadership. And um, whenever, in terms of Colin Powell, if you got, if people had opinions about him, not you know lying about what was going on in iraq he was also forced to resign in 2004 and condoleezza rice replaced him but he had a long tenure in office he was there basically serving the public from 1986 to 2005 so it's a pretty long tenure and based on that regardless of whatever we feel about him we had to give him credit that he you know engaged in public service for such a long period well, of time well here's the thing like while he did have a long career and it was at the tail end of his career that the whole yellow cake the whole iraq thing came about that's when we were most that's when we were alive to like witness what was actually going on before then we weren't so it's just it's more uh, uh, prominent in our own lives Basically, if you don't know what happened, in 2003, he spoke to the UN. He had gotten intelligence that said uh, the speech he was about to give had many red flags, many things that were not confirmed. But he went into the speech and saying that, saying that uh, certain things were confirmed, like they did, in fact, have nuclear weapons. They had labs capable of pr producing anthrax and other toxins. So he, he essentially lied to go to war. And as good as he could have done otherwise, and like you could argue there was some positive that came out of the Iraq war, to go for it for unjust reasons and to present them as, as facts when you know they're 
they might not be facts, is a big stain. It's a big black mark in your career, and there's no other way to look at it, in my opinion. Well, to be fair to him, I mean, what Pratik said with context actually clears it up for me now, where since he was involved in the 1991 Gulf War, that's when the United States severely underestimated Iraq's chemical and nuclear capabilities. Um, we ended up finding a bunch of chemical storehouses after the fact, after we initially entered the conflict, and the U.S. intelligence community was basically like, oh my God, we totally underestimated these people. Uh, hmm. We got to get a grip on this going forward. So it's not really surprising then within that context that they completely overreacted, went the entirely different way, and were like just looking to find any sort of hint of, of a nuclear capability to latch onto and present as fact. When in reality, like you were saying, it, it was unsubstantiated. It was just a hunch. That's fair. Uh, but with all that said, I will say anytime anyone dies, you know, rest in peace for him. He did serve his life for the government. You got to give him respect where respect is due. So, yeah. Totally and he died of and he died of blood cancer. Um, well, he was fighting blood cancer and he also contracted COVID. So it was a combination of the both that, you know, led to his demise. So R.I.P. All right, next story, um, if you guys are ready, um, is on Joe Biden. So President Joe Biden could get drawn into the FBI probe with his son, Hunter Biden. So obviously, if you guys don't know about Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden was involved in this major scandalous story where they were funneling funds and they were laundering and money laundering. And basically, they are trying to connect that Hunter Biden was involved in a lot of stuff. They found out a lot of evidence during the time of the presidential election. And they have the FBI probe that has been in place on Hunter Biden for, you know, the long term since October. And they are trying to see if Joe Biden has any connections to it whatsoever. If Joe Biden has some connection to the FBI probe, they could, the Republicans could potentially call for his impeachment because even if there is an inch of anything that, you know, connects him to money laundering and sketchy, corrupt stuff like that, then that is calls for an impeachment trial, even if it is like 1% or 2%, you know, involvement. So they don't know exactly how much involvement he has, but they have some links saying that they were both in it together, that they were sharing bank accounts. And, you know, they were both work. They were both paying each other's bills, per se, according to Daily Mail. So, guys, do you have any thoughts on the storyline of what's going on with Joe the Biden? Daily Mail is such Hunter? a gossip tabloid. Oh, my God. But I, be that as it may, it wouldn't surprise me if some of this stuff is true, purely because Hunter Biden has been such a screw up. Like every single gaffe when it comes to, you know, what was going on with Ukraine, where he was put on the board of this energy company with no prior experience, really, where he's now selling all these paintings. And granted, to be fair, you know, if you're the son of a very famous person and you're selling a painting, yeah, the value of that painting is going to be overinflated, you know, compared to the average Joe. However, these things... (laughs) They don't look that great. He's not like George uh, W. Bush with his nice little paintings after, you know, he bombed tons of civilians over years. Um, Hunter Biden's art, eh, not very impressive. And the fact that he's getting all this money definitely rubs people the wrong way. Well, when you're being caught up for money laundering and then you start selling paintings for $500,000 a pop without any previous experience, yeah, you're going to catch a weird eye from people. So I understand that. But really, like, this just shows how much corruption actually occurred. We were told when the laptop story came out a year or two ago, that everyone's like, hey, it's no big deal. This has nothing to do with Biden. Just completely ignore it. And now we're realizing Biden was actually 
implicated in this scandal. When we were talking about this personally, me in particular at least, and we were saying, how is Joe Biden not implicated in this? It's pretty clear that he was the one giving him the positions, allowing him to even be corrupt in the first place. So this scandal has been going on for a long time. It just goes to show that you can't believe everything you hear. If they tell you a story was just a non-story, don't necessarily believe them. We've had that multiple times. We've had it with like the COVID cover-up and where COVID came from, as well as this. It, it was a gray area. They basically said that there's no way this laptop could have been that big a deal. You actually had news stories coming out saying, look, this laptop thing, there's nothing to look at here. Please don't look into it. And we later come to find out there's a money laundering investigation. The IRS is on them for their taxes. I mean, that's pretty intense given that we had all this scrutiny over Donald Trump and what happened. All these investigations and what happened? Nothing came of it. And then the first investigation we have into Joe Biden, we get something real, something that whether it's impeachable or not, I don't know. But that's seemingly an impeachable offense. If there was money laundering and he was connected, if there was tax evasion and he's connected, I mean, those are all things that are big deals. So I hope the people in the media take this serious, even though I'm, I'm sure they won't. Yeah, Hunter, Joe Biden is the poster boy of the media. And it's been that way since Joe Biden even ran for office. He beat out all the other Democrats because he was the original poster boy. So I don't know. My thing about all this stuff. He also just, just forced that, them to concede. He's like, you guys all yeah. concede and I'll win. <laughs> but see, the main thing I have about this is not anything about that stuff. I mean, like, yeah, sure. There's probably some sketchy stuff that went took place. They also have something about Joe Biden's brother-in-law asked Hunter Biden to help him secure a business license, business license in China. And then they always have their connections with China and Joe Biden. And, you know, they call him China Joe and all this stuff. The Who right calls side him China Joe? <laughs> the Republican That's side. such it's a like bad nickname. Those... It doesn't even fit, I know. dude. There's no alliteration. I know, I know, there's I know. no ass and it's, it's garbage. I know, but I'm not the one that came up with it. But what I would say is that regardless of all this stuff, my only argument is that the Republican Party is still not going to do anything about this because the Republican Party sucks as a party. Think about this. If this was the Democrats and there was some storyline that came out about Jared Kushner having some involvement and some sketchy, shady stuff going on and Donald Trump had some ties to it and it had something to do with Russia and then they were like, oh, Trump is Putin's puppet anyway, so, you know, something sketchy is going on. They would have called an impeachment trial for it. They called an impeachment trial for all this other random stuff that Trump had less than 1% connection to, but because it was Trump that he might be connected to it. This stuff, like, there is a clear connection. But it doesn't mean anything because obviously the Republican Party is not smart and, you know, like strong-witted as the Democrats are. Pratik, you, only, Democrats have, you exactly only have three guarantees in life. Stuff. Death, taxes, and the Republican Party not doing anything or standing up for anything. What else do you have? I mean, it's a guarantee at this point. So you guys are taking this as fact. Look, I'm, I'm the lazy one out of the bunch. I haven't actually read the story, so I'll need to do that. But I... I'm really curious. I mean, we just talked about the whole thing of rushing into with Colin Powell. I genuinely believe that the Republican machine is not as inept as you say it is, Pratik, all the time. And I genuinely really do believe that if there was a smoking gun, if they found corruption with Hunter Biden, Pat, like doing doing tax fraud, essentially, um, with Joe Biden, that they would be all over this. It would be a huge talking point. But it's not right now. All they do is get up and they say, oh, my God, look, Joe Biden is looking at the IRS. We've got this thing and that thing. And I totally agree with him. The IRS thing, the $600 account um, sort of threshold to look into your banking activities, that is total BS. I hope that never goes anywhere. But as far as this being a real story with real meat to it, 
I feel like it's too early to tell purely because if it was that obvious and that clear, Republicans would be all over it and they're not. You think you believe that though? See, I don't believe that the Republican Party can do anything without Donald Trump. And this is this is the kind of stuff that's showing it. All right, there's I mentioned Donald Trump. But see, I think that this is the problem with the party is that the party literally watched the Democrats do what they did for four years. Regardless of whether they believed or liked everything that they did or not, they watched them for four years. They saw all the stuff that they tried to do against Donald Trump, all the impeachment trials that went on against Donald Trump, all the media assassination that they had of the of the guy. Like, Biden has had a cakewalk throughout his entire presidency. He literally screwed up in Afghanistan. They talked about it for two weeks, and then they talked about Supreme Court abortion stuff, and they forgot all about whatever happened in Afghanistan. If that was Trump, it would have lasted for four years. Like, every negative story about Trump, because regardless of how much positive that the guy did, yeah, sure, he also screwed up, and he also did some good stuff, like every president, but he only talked about the negative stuff. And it was literally like, oh, wow, you like Donald Trump? Man, that means that you're like the wrong person. How so many celebrities got kicked off their shows because they supported Donald Trump. You know, like random stuff. Like this kind of stuff is why I feel like the Republican Party sucks at everything that they do. They can't win the media because that media narrative's out of the uh, out of the water. Like all they have literally going for them is like Fox News, but even Fox News is technically corrupt now. Then you have like, you know, this kind of stuff where they have clear they have clear implications that they can try to throw something on Biden. They don't know what they're doing. They couldn't impeach the guy whenever he screwed up in Afghanistan. Not impeach the guy, have an impeachment trial. They had those all the time during Donald Trump. It was like, oh wow, there's an impeachment trial going on. There was an impeachment trial that happened like three months ago. It's normal now. Like they normalized all that stuff with Donald Trump. With Biden, Biden can say or do anything stupid and he will get away with it. There's nothing that they can do on Don Joe Biden. And it's not because the it's not anything against Joe Biden. Joe Biden is just acting like like any president would do would act because a lot of the presidents do stupid and shady things and they have stupid and shady past but with joe biden the problem is that the republican party is the issue the democrats are doing exactly what the democrats should do joe biden is doing exactly what he should should do to cover up sketchy shady stuff like what's going on but the Republican Party can't fight or act for anyone. They can't even fight and act for themselves. Like, regardless of January 6th, yeah, January 6th happened. They couldn't defend the president. And half the people that got elected during those elections that happened like two months ago when they got reelected, half of those people got reelected because Donald Trump was running as a presidential nomination. And that's the fact of life is that whoever these representatives and senators are, whoever all these House people are, whoever Senate people are, and all these state legislatures throughout the board and in Congress, half of them win because of the presidential nomination and whoever is their face that's going, you know, in front of the party, right? So if, Joe, if Donald Trump wins, he's not winning, or if, if all these Republicans are winning, they're not winning just because everybody knows who all these regular right, you know, types of rep representatives and senators are. They're winning because people vote straight ticket and they vote straight Republican Party or straight Democratic Party. So they either voted for Joe Biden or Donald Trump. And I think that's the scenario that these people have to go at. And the only reason why all this stuff has gone downhill um, you know, for why I always say the Republican Party sucks at everything that they do and the best thing that they've done is shut down the government is because of this stuff. Democrats are a very smart party. They make smart decisions. They think about what they're going to do 10 years later. Republican Party can't even figure out what it's going to do next year. Forget about 10 years later. And that's the issue with the party is the party hasn't done anything to win midterms. If they win midterms, it's solely because Biden hasn't done anything to impress anybody as president. 
But if they don't win midterms, like this because the Republican Party hasn't accomplished anything since Donald Trump left office. And frankly, even when Donald Trump was in office, they the party, Congress, all those people, they couldn't accomplish anything. They're a bunch of losers just sitting there warming up the seat. I wouldn't take as hard of a stance as critique that they can't do anything. But I think for sure with Donald Trump, they had a better control of the media, the media cycle. You can't tell me if Trump was more out there right now that this would be a big topic of conversation. Whether the evidence is there or not, it wouldn't matter. Just like how Trump was a big topic of conversation. He was being impeached multiple times off flimsy evidence. But it was was in the media cycle for a very, very long time. Trump would have brought this into the media cycle. And if there were any bits, any smoking guns, for instance, they would pop up. The Republican Party does not do a good job of bringing them to light, bringing possible things to light. And I think that's inevitably where they fail. So I think particularly right in that they can't control the media. I don't think they're generally incompetent with everything. They have no plan in the future. I think they're, they're, they're okay in that regard. I just think they don't understand the media cycle. And I think the Democrats do a way better job in that regard. So Nick, let me ask you, do you not think if Trump was there right now talking about this laptop, talking about the corruption going on, and he had maybe, uh, maybe a better outlet to get it out to the people. He used to have Twitter, no longer has Twitter. Do you think he would uh, influence the discussion, at least create a discussion around it? Regardless if there is uh, evidence or not, people would be talking about it. To deny that would be just stupid of me. You're absolutely right. Obviously, if Trump was talking about it, it would get um, coverage. And there's no one, to Pratik's point, there's no one like Trump in the current Republican Party. There's no one who's able to bring things to bear and really drive that media narrative. Ted Cruz, as well-spoken as he is, as respected as he is in many places around the country, is much too boring and too much of a you know, well-educated parliamentarian. He doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't have the same sort of delivery as Trump did. And so when it comes to making very- dog. Exactly, when it comes to making like very, well, Actually, I would disagree there. I think Ted Cruz, you know, given his uh, law background, can be an effective attack dog. When he gets a witness up on the stand or, let's say, a Biden nominee for something, he will go after them. He will prove his point. He's generally pretty effective rhetorically. However, when it comes to media coverage, he usually botches it. And I think that's the main difference is there's just no one like Trump and the party to bring that attention. So to answer your question, uh, yes, absolutely, Trump would bring uh, more attention to it. And that's a real issue for the Republicans on driving that media coverage. I mean, the Dems, eh, they've got AOC. She always picks up a bunch of stuff. Bernie, not as much. But at least you have some people who can drive the conversation. The Republicans really have no one. So, Tyler, we'll move on the strides and talk about China. Yeah, moving on to China. So for those who don't know, there was recently a supposed hypersonic missile test by China. Uh, So just to read the story, China allegedly reported by the Financial Times tested a nuclear capable hypersonic missile in August that circled the globe before speeding towards its target, demonstrating an advanced space capability that caught U.S. intelligence by surprise. So the Chinese government came out and said, hey, this is actually just an ordinary spacecraft. It's not a missile at all. Don't no need to worry. But the intelligence agencies in the U.S. seem to think otherwise. Uh, So basically, hypersonic missiles are designed to travel at incredibly high speeds. They can fly great distances, as I mentioned, all the way around the globe. And they move quickly through heavily defended airspaces to attack targets such as harbors, 
airfields and other installations before they can be successfully shot down. So that's something that's incredibly dangerous that we don't actually have a defense for. At this point, Russia and China are both developing hypersonic weapons, but this does show signs of what is to come, the future of warfare. China, like I said, had come out and said, it's just a spacecraft, no need to worry, it's not a missile system. But the U.S. intelligence says otherwise. So what do you guys think at this point? Well, so I think there's an interesting parallel. Um, I highly doubt that the China is more advanced than the U.S. when it comes to military technology, especially our Air Force. There's just no fucking way. Um, if you look at sort of how they're quoted on this stuff, um, you had, whatchamacallit, Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesman Zhao Lijian told reporters in a regular press briefing um, that according to my understanding, this test is a routine spa spacecraft test used to test reusable spacecraft technology. Oh my God, repetition. This could provide a convenient and cheap way for humans to use space for peaceful purposes. Now, the United States years ago for the X-37B, um, which is produced by Boeing's Phantom Works, which works with the military, it was actually... Um, you know, it used to be an open project under NASA in the late 90s and then went over to DARPA, which is the Defense Advanced Research Projects um, part of the Department of Defense in the U.S. military. And at that point, it got classified. And so this is early 2004 when we were working on something very similar and it caught, you know, public wind or caught wind of the press. And there was some article about this many years ago about how, quote, this was from a fact sheet produced by the Air Force. And this is 15 years ago saying, quote, the primary objectives of the X-37B, which is the U.S. version of this, uh, are twofold. Reusable spacecraft for America's future in space and operating experiments that can be returned to and examined on Earth. That sounds very similar to what the Chinese foreign minister just said about their test. So it wouldn't surprise me if we both have the same sorts of technologies and it's just, you know, denying it as much as you can. But it really wouldn't surprise me if they this did in fact happen and if the Financial Times original reporting is accurate. See, one thing I'm worried about this stuff is that I don't, I feel like with this kind of stuff, these kind of weapons get, you know, created. It's only going to reduce the amount of warfare that we have. So that's a good thing. But we also need to keep up with everybody else. So when we spend all this money on defense spending, this is the kind of stuff that it should be going to. Like we need to spend more money on research and development and making sure that we're keeping up with our competitors. Because regardless of anything else, we don't want to get into war. And that's the primary reason why we go in to spend all this money on defense. And that's why we do all this kind of research. Same with these countries. Like even North Korea built is like fired this new hypersonic missile into the sea. Apparently that's part of one of the stories in here. It says read more on Guardian. But like I think that's the thing is that they're all this is all connected. And I feel like the only way that we can make sure that our country is safe is if we continue to spend money on, you know, re and like building up our infrastructure and in this kind of stuff and making sure that we're as developed as all these other countries are and have as strong, if not stronger, missile technology than all these other countries do. And I think that we usually do, but we also need to make sure that if there is something that China is better than us at, we come up with something that makes us better than them. And that's all, it's all going to be good and good for everybody because that's only going to make it so that we don't end up going to wars because we're always trying to up one another. 
But unless someone actually ends up upping someone else, they don't have the capabilities to defend themselves and they can take advantage of it. Let's say the reason I, I think this story is interesting is because I'm not quite sure what they were testing it for, whether the Financial Times original report was right or not. But I do know that the tensions have been rising in the South China Sea. They have been rising in Taiwan. And if they want to make that grab and they're flexing the fact that they may have technology that the U.S. doesn't have, even if the U.S. doesn't have the technology, maybe there's like a one or two year gap between us having the proper defense systems and them having the capabilities that's still that's still an uh an opportunity of them to take advantage of so that's kind of what scares me a little bit but look who knows we don't know obviously we shouldn't be investing in defense for those hippies out there saying look we shouldn't invest in the military that money's all wasted it's like in a perfect world you're right but when you're defending yourself against other people that are doing the exact same thing you need to keep up so like Pratik mentioned there's mutually assured destruction like if you go I go therefore you won't make the first move nor will I so that's the best we can hope for so see what happens uh, and obviously it's like a weird way of looking at it because you're like all right why are we spending all this money on all these like weapons that are literally meant to kill a bunch of people but if you look at it that way, it sounds horrible. But the way other the way you should look at it is that all these other countries are making all these weapons to literally kill people and literally blow up cities, if not countries. So we need to have those same defense mechanisms as well. So if some country decides, man, I want to go blow up America today, then America is like, no, you won't because we could blow you back. And then yeah. that the, it's just like that fight will go on and on. So then they have hypersonic is, missiles. We have freedom missiles. That's the only yeah. difference. <laughs> it's just one of those things. You want to make sure that nothing happens. And in order to make sure nothing happens, you have to make sure that nothing happens. And the way you make sure nothing happens is you continue to invest and build and do development on this kind of stuff. But isn't it kind of scary, like, as we're developed, like, we've had nukes now for, like, what, like, 80 years, and now we have missiles that can fly around the entire globe and hit you before you can defend yourself? That's kind of scary. It's, like, almost a new era of warfare. And see, I think that, I mean, in all honesty, all the development that we've had in the last 70, 80 years, to some degree, could be attributed to the fact that there were nuclear weapons. Because if America and if Soviet Union didn't have nuclear weapons at the time, they would have probably gone to war eventually. But because they didn't go to war, like it just kind of went on and on until Soviet Union, just their economy fell apart because they're a communist country and they couldn't take it anymore because it was too big. But until you got to that point, you basically evaded war for such a long period of time, maybe 40, 50 years. Before that, we'd go to war with some country like every 5, 10 years. That's true, but there were close calls. Like, isn't there a story where a guy got a, in Russia, got a false test and like supposedly they thought nukes had been sent from the U.S. and he had to click a button and he would have responded with his own nukes, but he didn't. He trusted his gut or whatever. I mean, how many close calls can you have before there is a missile that's just launched? So that's that's something to think about. And I agree with you, but the scale of the warfare that would occur if any missile was launched and any nuke was detonated, we have, we have bombs today that are so much more powerful than nuclear missiles the ones we dropped on hiroshima and nagasaki <laughs> yeah. so it's like i know it's a scary thought it's just one of those things that you know we will never actually be able to understand why we do everything that we do but the fact is that all these other countries continue to do it so we shouldn't be left behind it's just one of those things regardless of however we feel about it like all none of us are like yeah these missiles are great you know we're, yeah. we're all like you know we're, we're all kind of pacifist to some degree none of us want war and this is just one way to prevent it yeah. 
And look, well, let, let's take the other half of the conversation. Let's say they are developing this technology simply for space travel and space expeditions, maybe space mining or something. That's also a new era of potential warfare where we're battling for resources out in the uh, inner, inner, I don't know, intergalactic warfare. I don't know. It's like Star Wars, Star Trek. Um, but do you guys think that's something we should be investing in more? I know we announced that we're going to have some kind of space force, but like if, Ch if China's really investing heavily into it, we don't want to be too far left behind there. Wouldn't that also be a big detriment to us if we're not advancing as much as they are in space? I know we are, are in the private sector. Obviously, you have like Blue Origin with Bezos and you have SpaceX with Elon Musk, where they're actually bringing passengers to space, but maybe on a more industrial scale, scale so we can start getting resources from outer space, even colonizing one day. There are companies who do that in the United States. Um, in fact, I think there are a few out there in the world right now. I mean, the main draw for them is mining uh, rare metals. And then th there's some ca there's some company in California that's like, oh, we should go by and like mine water from space rocks because we're going to have water shortages decades from now. That'll be a thing. Um, you know, I, I totally see the rare earth mineral stuff. I feel like that would be... Which I guess is a bit of a misnomer how it's used now, but you know, mining a very, very valuable uh, metal from an asteroid—well, not an asteroid, but whatever space rocks they're going from—that makes a lot of sense. I will say the one thing we haven't touched on yet that I want to briefly mention is, um, Pratik, when you're describing the United States and Russia, and Tyler, when you said we almost went to war with each other over that blip where there was the Russian guy who said, "Up, oh, this is probably you know an error. I'm not going to do anything." saved us from a nuclear holocaust, essentially. Um, all that stuff said, that was the United States and Russia. There really wasn't anyone else uh, at the table. Sure, France had yeah. nuclear weapons. Sure, Great Britain had nuclear weapons. Sure, other people did. But it was really the United States and Russia. Those are the big two. Now with China, with this hypersonic missile testing, it's forcing Japan and others. Japan announced that you know by they're sort of targeting 2026, the mid-2020s, to have this same sort of capability. And it just becomes a new arms race where, okay, you know, nuclear weapons, uh, they were a big deal back in the day. Uh, not, not as much anymore. Now we're going through <laughs> literally shooting, like having a, having a spacecraft that can then carry them into space, you know, through, beyond your radar, through all of these uh, complex uh, maneuvers. And honestly, part of it, it could be pretty cool. Um, some of these things are going to be powered by solar power. Um, to have objects that fly at hypersonic speed, which for people who don't know is five times faster than supersonic. Think of the, the Concorde, the airplane that used to be operating. Um, and I don't know if we got hypersonic aircraft technology, that's not just a military invention. That's only for the military. That could be huge for civil aviation. Think about how much more interconnected the world would be if we had hypersonic flight where you could get up, go to, you know, China in less than a day. Uh, just in a couple hours. I think that would be huge. Maybe we wouldn't go to war then, uh, but who knows? Maybe uh, <laughs> maybe there's some bad things that could happen with that too. Imagine a hypersonic... I was going to say, imagine a hypersonic plane starting a new 9-11, Jesus Christ. Um, oh my God. But in any case, that that's all I wanted to bring up was just, you know, it's no longer and the United States and... Mm -hmm. Saying that hypersonic uh, planes will be the best route. That's going to consume how much more uh, gas and energy and all that? Well, that's why they got to be solar powered, my friend. That's why we need oh, those okay, military yeah. planes. <laughs> oh, yeah. We you can bomb each other as long as it's environmentally friendly. Exactly. 
No, but see, I think that's part of it too. Is like we look at nuclear, uh, you know, all the nuclear weapons and all that stuff, missile technology back then. But imagine if we were in a world of nuclear energy controlled stuff now. Like our world would be so much faster. It would be so much more efficient. And I think the same thing with this stuff is like, all right, you have this um, hypersonic technology. If we can utilize that and make it so that it makes the world more globalized, that's a good use of that technology. It doesn't always have to be used for bad. We always look at this stuff and you're like, oh, it's bad. Like nuclear is a little bit different because a nuclear explosion can be really bad. But I mean, at the same time, if nuclear energy was to work out, then that could also be very good. And it's the same as this technology. I just think that there's always more, there's always two sides to a coin and you shouldn't always look at it from the negative aspect because there's a lot of positive stuff that comes from this stuff. Same with us going into space. If we can all engage in asteroid mining, then that would also be very beneficial to the entire globe, not just America. And I think we have to look at it in that way because the world is so interconnected. Like the fact that we have to have some supplies come from some country like China because we don't have the capabilities of having that same supply coming from the United States already shows that even if America and China hate each other, we still are relying on each other. If we don't buy their supplies, they get hit. And if they don't deliver their supplies to us, then we also get hit. It's always like a connected game. So I just think that we need to, we always have to look at it from a positive aspect. Because even if there's all kinds of sketchy, shady stuff that goes along with all these other countries and there's so much competition and they might all blow each other up, at the same time, the reasonings to why a lot of this world is so interconnected is because of that fear itself. And the fact that we have all these trade organizations, we have the United Nations, we have the we have all these unions in place that are there to basically prevent something like that from going on. And it's good that these kind of things are there. These kind of development things do take place because that also brings us together as well. Yeah. And with that, I, that might be a good transition. We're talking about travel and uh, all that. Maybe we could transition into talking about the supply shortages we've been experiencing yeah. as of late. Um, so, so you want to go ahead? Yeah, you go for it if you want to. Okay, yeah, I was just going to say, so some 200,000 shipping containers were gridlocked on Monday, October 18th, off the, co- off the coast of Los Angeles as pandemic-related disru- disruptions continued to affect various supply chains. Uh, you may have seen your grocery stores or whatever stores you're going to. Many things are off the shelves. We're just having a lack of goods being able to move at this point, and it's been two years since coronavirus started, essentially. We're still experiencing the slowdowns, still experiencing a lack of supply in certain areas, and it's hitting us harder now than it was even a few months back so it seems to be getting worse um so what what do your guys take i think that it's a really problematic situation and you can see it in every aspect of what's going on right now like from labor shortages you've seen every single price go up of every item that you want to buy like i don't think that there is a item that you would buy that doesn't have a higher price than it did like three four months ago and that's because of the supply shortage. We have been experiencing in the hotel industry that we'd order towels and like toilet paper like six months beforehand and it would arrive. And we expected to have it like in two weeks. That kind of stuff is what's crazy about all this stuff. It's like little random things that we don't even think about that we're like, well, why is there a supply shortage on that? Like there is a supply shortage that U.S. Foods is having on decaf coffee. Like, why is there such a big supply shortage on decaf coffee? I don't know, but it's so much random stuff like that. Like Skittles right now. It's so hard to find Skittles anywhere. I don't know what happened and why it's such a shortage on Skittles. Like, where did the demand come for Skittles all of a sudden? But it's everything. Like, the price, everything's going up. There's a level of inflation that's going on. 
the prices of everything has increased you can't find like anything for the same price that you were able to find it before you're overpaying for all items the cost of doing labor has increased and then the cost of making equipment has increased and you can't find enough supplies to actually have everything in place as well. So it's just like a big fact. Yeah. This was actually caused by the economy reopening because while the economy was shut down, the the uh, the demand for a lot of items went down when everyone was just oh, no, staying but inside. But now that we've reemerged and the economy's come back to life, that's why we're seeing the shortages right now, even though it seems like so far out from when the coronavirus It's began. actually... I wouldn't agree with that either because, I mean, at least in my industry, of course, every industry is a little bit different, but we had supply shortages during COVID as well because you didn't have anyone delivering stuff and you didn't have enough people working. So it's still the same issue. Now, you're, the problem is that you have all kinds of built up inflation that happened all of a sudden because no, there's people that don't want to work in certain countries, including ours, because of COVID and the stuff going on with COVID. Then you have all these other issues where because there's certain programs and government programs in place that is paying people more money than than they can make, you know, working, that that kind of eliminates a lot of the lower wage and minimum wage and those kind of lower scale workers that we all need in society. And then all that stuff kind of builds builds back up because with COVID shutting, with the COVID shutdown, you had a lot of businesses that were kind of, you know, stagnant and they weren't doing anything. And all of a sudden they have all this big demand pop up, but they don't have enough supply and they don't have enough workers to make, you know, their ends meet. So it's all kinds of factors. I don't think it's just one or the other. I, I mean, I in terms of in terms of the auto industry and that kind of stuff going on, like the chip problem is there. So yeah. like a lot of the chips that we see all come from China. And those chips in terms of America, the stuff that we develop is not the same, is like a much higher capability than some of the auto manufacturers yeah. can take in. I thought they it's were kind from of weird Taiwan how, critique. Is Taiwan now I don't know. a part I'm of just, China? I don't think I don't think it's just I don't think it's just Taiwan is all those Asian dragon countries and China. So all those countries all have some, you know, capabilities and some things that they send. You're right. But Taiwan semiconductors, I'm pretty sure, is like more a a plurality or a majority of the world's, you know, chip supply. Uh, You're touting your investment over there. What's going on? (laughs) (laughs) You're pumping the stock. No, I think you're absolutely right. But also China's been having power outages and that's something else that's affecting all this. They've been having a ton of blackout blackouts of recent as of late and the chips not they they go to cars but they also go to computers the fact that people are more into cryptocurrencies and mining they've taken up a lot of the chips so the chip issue is a big deal that is not going to be resolved for the next year or two which is kind of unfortunate well pratik even for um basic goods um for example the shipping industry i feel like part of it is just capacity shortages where um i i get what you were saying about you know tyler's original point there being a little bit more to it than that However, I genuinely do think that part of this is, and one of the things that you saw the Biden administration actually take a stand on, I think it was either this week or last week, um, was some of the ports in the United States and trying to make them operate um, with greater hours and a greater capacity because, you know, we're trying to catch up where, you know, obviously demand shifts all the way down on the curve, supply is going to shift down too. And once demand starts, you know, popping back up, supply starts popping back up. But if we don't have these key... You know, if you don't no longer have the same workforce at, you know, a port or a, a point of yeah. entry where in, import export controls are in place, then it's going to take you longer to process the goods. You're going to have, you know, the people backing up. You're going to have Buttigieg going on TV talking about stuff. So, yeah, I, I don't know, man. I would say and I think both of you are right, but 
Hey, that's uh, that's just me, the lame Democrat centrist. Get your uh, get your Christmas gifts early this year because you have no idea what's going to be happening around the holiday season. Demand's only going to be going up over the next few months. So yeah, get your in-laws some uh, toilet paper. We all know what happened last I, time. <laughs> I do want to transition this to a question though, because this is something that I've like experienced. I've like thought about a lot. I actually had a class on operations manage- management where we talked about this kind of stuff in big detail. But the what what I'm really concerned about, I mean, in terms of some of the stuff that's being a shortage on, is like there's a supply shortage on meat, there's a supply shortage on medicine, there's a supply shortage on housing household products, like basic stuff that we all need to have. Like it's not just like it's not just like the big stuff, luxury goods, it's even basic stuff. So I think one one concern that, you know, makes you makes everybody wonder is I mean, this might be a more isolationist approach a little bit, but should America and all these countries themselves be a little bit more autonomous in trying to have some industries in place that makes a lot of these products in their own country? Because I'm sure, like, you know, it's a weird way of looking at it. I mean, we're always talking about free trade and globalization and how we need to look at stuff through a comparative advantage lens. But the fact is that we're so reliant on a lot of these other countries and a lot of these other countries are so reliant on a lot of other countries. If every country was a little bit more self-dependent and more reliant on themselves, do you all think that that would actually change everything, change anything? Or do you think that would just make things worse because prices would still hike up? I don't think every country can be self-dependent. I think there are certain industries that they don't have access to if they weren't able to import them, for instance. So I'm not sure that it's possible. I, I agree that the global economy, like if there's one one hiccup in the supply chain, there could be issues for everyone. But I'd rather be in this scenario than you're in some random country that, let's say, can't get oil because there's just no oil around. What do you do? You you need oil to run your cars and stuff like that. So I, I don't know how realistic it is to say that we should all be self-reliant. Somewhere in like the United States, North America is very... Uh, mineral rich like we have a lot of natural resources here we might be able to accomplish something akin to that but so many other countries in the world i don't think would be able to do that how like north korea for instance they've tried to sustain themselves for how long they were supported and propped up by the soviet union for a very long time and the past 20 30 years has been horrific for them economically because they can't rely on anyone in the outside world so i'm just not sure how feasible it is what do you think nick i think as far as well, well, what is it that we all want as good capitalists? I think we want efficiency here, right, Pratik? And you were yeah. saying, you know, comparative advantage be damned. We need to be self-sustaining. I think people would take issue with that. I think if, you know, you didn't have this pandemic, I don't think it's such an issue. I think it's a good thing that, you know, people are able to exploit the fact that, hey, I have a comparative advantage in this. You have a comparative advantage in that. You know, let's agree on some terms of trade. And look, if there are no agreeable terms of trade... Um, such due to things such as national security threats. I mean, you look at the stuff that happened with 5G uh, over in the UK and the US, where we were all concerned about Chinese uh, telecommunications companies putting in back doors and all these other things to shut down our, our communications infrastructure. Then that certainly influences that. And in that case, yeah, not a good idea. We should be doing that ourselves. But when it comes to everyday household goods, I don't know, dude, what if we wanted to get lima beans and someone like, you know, Panama could produce them very cheaply? I mean, maybe Colin Powell would say that we should invade them. But, you know, I would like to think that we could just come to some terms of trade and then, you know, go back and forth a little bit so that um, U.S. consumers could benefit from it. I think I agree with that. I just... I, I just wanted to bring it up because I was just curious because, you know, we always have that conversation that, oh, wow, we're so reliant on China. We're dependent on China on so much stuff. A lot of stuff is made in China. 
why is that stuff not made in America? Why is America so lacking in making stuff in America? But I think that if you, I mean, obviously America is a different answer because America can probably do that kind of stuff where we could probably be self-sufficient. The question mark is with other countries, would it make any difference? And y'all are probably right. I mean, but but also to add, uh, you were, we were talking about missiles before. Just prov- with uh, the global economy and us being so intertwined, with, inter- yeah, intertwined with China, we were less likely to go to war, even if we both have like nuclear capabilities and other missile technology. Well, that's so the it's just theory. like another buffer from the. That's the theory. Stuff. Let's hope it holds. Yeah. And I think la- last episode, that's the same thing I was saying is that when it comes to China, like the fact that nothing has happened between China and Taiwan yet. Is because China wants to remain an economic powerhouse, and that's how they believe that they're going to become stronger as a whole. Because even if some country is stronger militarily, if you don't have a strong economy, what can you really do? And if other countries don't trade with you, if other countries don't cooperate with you in, or interact with you, you're literally going to become like North Korea and Iran. And it's not like those two countries yeah. are booming on their own. They're all trying to open up. So is, Isn't it right. interesting how, um, how easy it is to destroy your supply chain and so many goods we get? Like... It's like if everyone stops working tomorrow, it's a vacation. It's a it's a holiday. If everyone stops working for a week, it's a vacation. If everyone stops working for a month, we're all dead. So it's like well, kind of like civilizations holding on to a thread here. It's like we really don't crank out everything we have been. Our quality of life drops dramatically very quickly. Speaking of qual- quality of life dropping and you know people dying, let's talk about abortion. So oh, obviously this is a little bit of a weird transition. But I, I would say top, top five pretty transitions of all time. That was incredible. Play it on us. What's going on? That was on? pretty bad. Okay, so Justice Department asked Supreme Court to temporarily block Texas law that bans abortion after six weeks. So we've talked about this a lot. This is all over the news. Um, you know, there was a Texas law that bans most abortions as early as six weeks of pregnancy. Texas legislature passed it. Um, and it was passed by a pretty large margin. This was tried in the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court ruled that Texas can do whatever it wants because it's their state law that they decided, and those people were all voted into office. And then you had all these Democrats come out, and they were all pissed off about all this stuff because they Not were just like, Democrats. the Supreme Court. Yeah, yeah, but a large portion of people, but primarily liberal-oriented, sure. that were anti, and they were pro-choice. We're all, you know, came and uh, we're all angry about this and they were pissed off at, at the Supreme Court decision. And then they even talked about, you know, putting more Supreme Court justices and all that other stuff that, you know, they, they've discussed. Um, but so this, this storyline is saying that the Biden administration asked the Supreme Court to temporarily block the enforcement of a Texas law that bans most abortions after as early as six weeks of, presidency, uh, of pregnancy. The Department of Justice announced last week that it would ask the high court to effectively block enforcement of the law from SB8 while legal disputes play out. And the agency's application argues that the Supreme Court should vacate a lower court's unjustified decision to allow the law to stay into effect. And the reason why this is such a big deal is that the Supreme Court is the Supreme Court. They usually make decisions and we've usually stuck to it. This is one of those strange situations where we're having a big meltdown over this Texas law that has been taking place, which took place in Texas. And the only people that can really reverse this stuff is Texas legislature and the people of Texas that voted these people into office. So 
I don't know. Do you guys think that it's a good idea for the DOJ to announce that they're trying to ask the high court to effectively block the enforcement of a law that they said was legit? Well, I think the DOJ is arguing that it's unconstitutional and that they shouldn't have been able to do it in the first place. It goes against precedent, even with state rights, that they shouldn't have the capability and capacity to do that. I don't know. I'm torn on this because, like, I am pro-choice and I want to have I want to believe in states' rights, but also... This just seems like just a terrible idea. I think we can dislike it all we want, but if it's not unconstitutional, then the states are meant to be grounds to experiment and try different things. And that's part of the reason why we've done so well in this country is because different states have different rules and laws and ways of living and succeeding in life. And so, you know, this one, even if you do personally disagree with it, I think fundamentally, if it's not unconstitutional, then... You know, either <laughs> we got to wait for the cows to come home for Congress to pass some sort of federally enforceable law saying you, you cannot, you know, enact this type of legislation and beat down on the states once again. Uh, but until that happens, uh, all they can do is challenge it in the courts. And if that doesn't stick, then, you know, it's really up to the people of Texas to decide whether or not they want that to, to stay or if they want it to be reversed. And I think that's okay. still think this hurts Republicans in the midterms. I still think the voters' perception is if I put a Republican in, they're going to lean towards the anti-abortion stance. Something's going to happen. I don't want what happened in Texas to happen in my state. I just think from, from a, a public perspective that it's still going to hurt Republicans in the long run. Do you, What do you guys think? How do you think it affects elections? <laughs> I don't think that affects elections as much because there's a lot of other things that Biden's already done that would affect elections. But the problem with Biden is that the media is on his side. So you might be 100% correct because it's not I like just know Biden's single issue voters. negative coverage of anything. I know people that are voting specifically in this election, the midterm election, because yeah. of this Texas thing, personally. I know, but a lot of those people that would vote the democratic party anyway because but they wouldn't that's the what thing. i'm saying like it, it it's that important to them abortion's a really touchy subject for people i think that's one of the issues that people actually go out and vote for because it's so like at least to me and i'm sure to other people it just seems like an authoritarian move to tell someone they can or can't do something with their body i understand they'll argue but you're affecting the child potential child's life but that doesn't seem to go as far in my opinion See, I don't know. I, I think that you're right, but those people that are pro-choice are going to vote for Democrat anyway because that's their primary cause. Right, but Pratik, the issue is getting them out to vote in the first exactly. point. Exactly. If you can't motivate someone to yeah. actually get up in the morning and walk out and True. you know place their cast their ballot, or I guess now it's so easy you just mail it in, um, if you can't even motivate them to do that, even though, sure, on some fundamental level, people may lean more Democrat— um, as you were saying, those types of people may lean more Democrat. If they're not motivated to vote, then none of that matters. Um, so that that That's would fair. just be my... <laughs> In my, as I said, as I've complained, said all the time, is that the Republicans haven't done anything to actually prove that they deserve to be elected in midterms. Like, that's the other side, is that we look at it from, you know, the Democratic it's multiple side. Factors, it's like, oh, yeah, sure. Biden hasn't done anything. But it's like, yeah, what have the Republicans done? Nothing. All we've done is not done anything. And I mean, yeah, sure, that that might sound great to some libertarians or two, three percent of people that vote that way. But like 
the fact is that Republicans have to actually do something. And until Republicans do something, like, it's a lost cause. And if that means having impeachment trials and trying to get rid of Biden and doing something like that, that's something. That's why Donald Trump, I mean, that's why the Republicans lost in midterms whenever Donald Trump was president. And I think that's the same situation, is that Democrats did something. Whether or not they passed any legislation, whether or not they passed any bills, like, they argued about this wall stuff all the time. They all voted for the wall. They all went along with it. I mean, they complained about it for so long, but, I mean, the wall is still being made. I just think that that's one of those things, is that Democrats complained about it enough to the point where you're like, all right, we should vote Democrat because they're going to get rid of Trump, and Trump's doing all this shady, crazy stuff because the news talks about it every day. Biden has that on his side. Biden doesn't have to do anything wrong. It doesn't have to do anything good, and the media will still be on his side. He can yeah. go kill Even a bunch Afghanistan's of people. Even Afghanistan's in the rearview mirror. Side. So I think that works in his benefit. I think that's the only thing. If there's enough Republicans that are pissed off about Biden, that's going to change something. But if the media just says like a few good words about Biden, people that are in the neutral zone will all be like, all right, let's go vote because, you know, Biden's great. He's helping out our country. He's going to solve coronavirus. Let's do this, people. I don't know. Biden's inspiring people to vote. I mean, I think the news media, if enough people listen to the news, the news people are on the side of Biden. So, oh, wait, Biden's that, election that's something we could talk about. So, I mean, I was actually just looking through all our episodes because um, we're coming up on our 50th episode. And we had talked about how the media's ratings have been collapsing this year. So the media is going to more alternative media, like online. Uh, the conservatives are finding their niches. The liberals finding their niches. It's not as much just the mainstream media saying something and everyone just follows suit. So we'll see what happens. It's like how it used to be with... Um... The three major networks, ABC, NBC, and I forget the other one. CBS. But yeah, CBS. And then all of a sudden, you know, CNN, Fox, others start coming up and they're like, hey, look at us. We're the new kids on the block. Well, now you've got new new kids on the block. And gradually people are going to be drifting away from the older forms of media. Because frankly, whatever formula they're using um, isn't as gauging. And <laughs> I mean, look. Most people are on YouTube these days. People are on TikTok. People are on all these different platforms that, sure, I, I fully concede that there is still a space for traditional news media, more traditional news media, I suppose. Um, however, I, I don't think they're ever going to reach the same sort of levels of engagement or the same monetary metrics that some of these um, alternative platforms are able to really you know, grow in leaps and bounds. Please don't get your news from TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe or i'm an old WhatsApp. geezer but like goddamn people it's 15 seconds can you really get that much in 15 seconds <laughs> twitter though dude imagine remember those twitter characters there wasn't that many twitter characters that you could have but there were people that literally were diehard getting news from twitter because it was short and sweet and to the point well what's trending so like, right know. yeah i used yeah. to be so anti-twitter and now slowly getting wrapped up into it. And now you'll see, like, U.S. government agencies will, like, put out an official position by tweet. And granted, the media slammed Trump for this. But now it's, like, commonplace for every agency to put out, here's what we're doing on Twitter. It's yeah. pretty wild to it's think about. It's a PR platform. It's like a, yeah, it's like a normalized form of communication for pretty much everyone. But also government agencies, like the U.S. military, can send out a tweet. And that will be, like, an official statement. Mm-hmm. 
Some people are declaring war through Twitter. <laughs> Just think about that. That's that's Trump's biggest claim to fame, in my opinion. Is regardless of whether we like him or we don't like him, and regardless of whatever people feel about him, everyone agrees that Donald Trump is the reason why Twitter is still in. Business. And he got kicked off it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Sorry, that's all we got for today. Yeah. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Episode forty nine of Politicana, and we'll catch you next week. Later.